Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Worldwide Edition. It's our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was December 30th, 1996 through January 5th, 1997. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, in spirit, if not in body, it's only Dave Amantorp. Dave, I'm not going to ask how you're doing this week. Uh, we're all doing terrible. We're all stuck in our, our homes, our apartments, our houses, our townhomes, our, under our bridges, wherever we are. Uh, it sucks. It sucks, and it's going to suck for a while. So why don't we get into Worldwide Edition? Well, I was going to say that I went to the uh, grocery store today, and I actually found toilet paper. Hey, congratulations. I was going to ask if you had some, because I accidentally... Uh, I thought we were like almost out and I bought a, like a nine pack and then Kelly was like, why did you buy that? We have a whole thing in the laundry room. And so now I'm I feel like one of the assholes. Uh, there's a, like a neighborhood Facebook group. I've been meaning to put it on there, but I, I actually meant to check with you. Glad to hear that you've got yourself covered, though. Oh, you were going to see if I needed any. Yeah, just, you know, you're somebody I know who's out there in the world. Well, see I, if you need. So I'm curious, what kind of uh, what brand do you usually get for toilet paper? Uh, I don't, I, I tend to, all I know is, uh, the packaging is like purple themed. I think it may be con cottonelle, but I'm, okay. I, I do not pay that much attention. Cause I definitely, I'm a, I'm a Charmin, uh, jumbo roll size is like the only ones that I get. Sure. Um, so that was, it was a, it was a, it was a nice, uh, I mean, I usually get just like the, the four pack cause I'm just one person. I don't need like right. a whole but the only thing that was available was nine. Right. So now now I'm good for the rest of like 2020, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's not like I wasn't in a panic or anything, but I just, it's just one of those things where now you figure like, well, if toy paper could disappear for a week or so and it comes back, it's like, might as well get some extra in case it disappears again. Because here in Minnesota, uh, on the day that we're recording, we the state is not officially gone on into any sort of lockdown or anything like that yet. Yeah, it's sort of an on. I mean, a business non-essential businesses have been closed, but we have not been given the uh, as they call it the shelter-in-place order. Yeah, and I I realize that it's possible that when that happens, there could be another kind of like a rise in people hoarding stuff. Right. So it, that's it's good to kind of be a little bit prepared in advance of that because that could happen any day now. Yeah, I I uh I also went to the grocery store this weekend, uh, and I went to the grocery store rather than the Super Target that that also is a grocery store. Right. And uh, I got just about everything I need at the regular grocery store. There wasn't anything. There were things that were very low, um, and there might have been a couple things that were out of stock that I didn't need. Like I th I think flour has been hard to find, but we we have plenty of flour. Uh, but they didn't have cocoa like cocoa powder for baking hmm. and my son's birthday is this saturday it's coming up in just a few days here and like 
what a just a terrible time to be turning eight years old uh to have your you know his birthday party's been canceled he's just fucking bummed you know he's, his family can't his grandparents can't come over and get presents I, we're all going to do it this summer when we get the opportunity and yeah. if anything i'm gonna go just nuts for his party to make up for it that he had to you know have this shitty experience but uh i was like well I like being in the grocery store was a surreal and and actually like terrifying experience in a way because I just look at everyone as the potential end of my life getting within like three feet of anyone I'm just convinced is that's how I'm gonna die yeah so it was like this really weird scary feeling but I was like well I'm gonna have to go to another store because I gotta get this kid cocoa I want him to have a birthday cake I want him to have the cake that uh, that he wants so I went to Target I got the cocoa uh. And holy shit, if I didn't already completely forget the point of this story. Toilet paper, <laughs> cocoa, what the fuck? Where was I going with any of this? Uh, troubling times that we live in. Uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. God damn. Oh my god, I feel like an, I feel uh, 80 years old. Like I started this story with a very sincere point. Like something you said and I was like, oh, I really want to respond to that. Yeah. And then during the trip, I forgot what the destination was. <laughs> Well, I was going to say because um, so last few days and like my my only way of real any exercise is just going out on walks outside. Right. Because um, I for some reason, I thought that the that the gym that's in my apartment is going to stay open. But no, it's not. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and then I found out that last month when I went up to the my parents cabin in Wisconsin, I left my running shoes there. Oh no! And that's like, well, I can't go out and buy running shoes because those stores are not going to be open for like a year. Seems. Yeah, you could best your, you could probably get some cheap ones at Target. That's about your your best bet. Yeah, but so my my uh, my parents are actually going to mail them to me. So ah, it's nice. They were actually uh, my parents were actually trying to convince me to um, go up and quarantine with them and my brother and his kids, which. I feel like if anyone that knows me very well, that if it comes to like lots of time by myself, I like lots of time by myself. Right. Um, and so the idea of going up and being kind of forced to stay with like five other people and two dogs, no, one dog, geez, no, it's only one dog, uh, and a bunch of pets and just never having time myself for an unknown amount of time. It's yeah. It's about the last thing I ever want. <laughs> I, but i i said this in very polite appropriate terms to my mom that yeah. i was like i just i just think that after it, it would be nice for you guys to have me there but i would not enjoy it so i politely turned them down on that offer i mean it, it just doesn't make any sense for me to drag my pet my pets up there just so i can stay up there for for question mark reasons you know yeah yeah it, it's more i just felt like it's probably just my mom being like the mother hen and wanting all of her chicks as close as possible during this time when she, yeah. when she's able to, which I, I guess I can understand that, but that's definitely like, that would have been a nightmare for me. So yeah, of course. Now your, your sister and brother-in-law, they're out in California, right? Yeah. They're in San Francisco. And so they are in like the complete lockdown I actually, and have been for a while at this point. Yeah, yeah. Now it's not, yeah. So I was actually talking to my sister on the phone today because today would have been the first day that I was going to be on vacation in San Francisco there. So, but I was able to talk to her. She's She was actually going on a walk the same time I was. So we kind of had like teamed up and had like a phone call during our walks. 
Oh, that's nice. Which was nice. And for them, yeah, it seems like, you know, um, unlike a lot of other areas in the country, I think California's really understood what they've had to do. And a lot of people that are living there kind of have the realization that they can't do everything that they would like to do. Um, but the other thing is my sister does, um, um, she does uh, art design for a balloon company and she works from home. So she, basically for her, not a lot has changed other than she can't go out and see friends after work pretty much. So uh, I think now it, what's that? I was going to say, cause uh, there, there is a connection to our, our podcast with that in that, uh, when you mentioned it, it reminded me that she used to do some WWE related balloons, didn't she? And she had to like airbrush canes, love handles into like abs and shit like that. Well, it, um, I remember that so she did those like that was, um, cause she's worked there for a long time and this was probably like 10 years ago or something like that, that she was yeah. doing a lot of WWE balloons. And she always said like most of the wrestlers, there was not a lot you really had to do with them except CM Punk. CM Punk. Oh, that's right. That's it right. Like, it was the bag under the bags under the eyes. You had to fix up. Uh, I think love handles was another thing. And also getting rid of um, like the, the copyrighted tattoos as well. Oh, right. Or, right. Out, like Cobra commander. And I think the Pepsi, the Pepsi. Was. Yeah. Right. So it, that was always funny because it's just like, everyone else is just perfectly fine. But then she just spends all his time, like, "Quote unquote fixing CM Punk to be <laughs> child, child's balloon, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to really start off any of these episodes without talking about like what's going on because it's like crazy times. Even yeah, well, I, and I think uh, you know talking about like how shitty the situation is is one thing, and everyone knows that. But like, I think uh, you and I talking about how it's affecting our daily lives that's that's probably relatable. I think people might. You know, I think the, the, the people listening on, on their daily walk where they get to finally get out of the house are uh, hopefully they're enjoying hearing that uh, that we're in the same kind of boat. But we should probably move on with Worldwide, I think. Sure. All right. Well, this this is, of course, one of our bonus episodes, which will follow our Nitro reviews. And this particular episode is a companion to episode 68, in which we reviewed the December 30th, 1996 edition of Monday Nitro. Now, before we move on to everything else that happened in wrestling that week, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro, or uh, you can follow Dave at Dave Amentorp. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, uh, we, I believe in our last Worldwide, it was where I instituted corrections and omissions. Okay. Uh, so I've uh, this is a little bit of one in our in our Nitro review the other day. We were wondering, uh, you know, Nick Patrick came out during the main event segment. He was wearing an NWO shirt. We were like, when the hell did that become so official? Mm-hmm. I guess uh, in thinking about it, it must have been the night before at Starcade when he came out during the Giant versus Lex match and just blatantly interfered without even like a semblance of an excuse or den- plausible deniability. Yeah. He just came in and like attacked Lex Luger, so I'm that that's the only thing that would have happened because that was Sunday night. This was Monday. That's the only thing that happened. So that has to be the the official Nick Patrick is acknowledged as being an active part of the NWO. Uh, what's funny about it is I watched a little bit 
of the Saturday night that took place this week that aired on January 4th, 97. And of course, Saturday night is pre-taped stuff. And it can be anywhere from like one to three weeks pre-taped. I think they, you know, they tape kind of a batch of them. And he was still wearing the mask on that Saturday night. And because at the time they just, there was clearly not the plan to acknowledge it so openly. So that must have been at least somewhat a last minute decision to just finally go that route. Yeah. All right. Well, with corrections and omissions out of the way, the next thing that we like to do is change the channel over to the USA Network because it's time for our Raw Recap. Uh, Raw started off with a barn burner when Savio Vega and Jesse James defeated Farouk and Austin and Stone Cold Steve Austin by disqualification. What actually happened there was uh, at one point somebody came and took out Jesse James and then Bret Hart just took his spot. Uh, So it was it was Bret Hart and Savio Vega versus Farouk and Austin. And then there was like a billion guys that came out and interfered. Uh, DOA was there. I think some of the nation was there. It just became a big schmoz. Uh, they attacked um, Brett quite a bit. So, yeah, they got the win by disqualification. But there you go. Savio Vega technically with a tag win over Steve, Steve Austin, which I thought was funny. Hmm. Uh, Triple H defeated Flash Funk in a non-title match. So Triple H's intercontinental title was not on the line, and yet he still beat Flash Funk. Okay. Uh, Lawler defeated Goldust. I was not actually watching by that point, so I don't know if, you know, <laughs> what cheating took place that, uh, caused that to happen, but I'm assuming there was chicanery. And then probably the biggest, most famous segment of this particular Raw was, uh, Sean, um, I have Sean in HBK, but what I mean is, sh- what I mean to say is Sean and Bret Hart faced off. They, like, had a face-to-face promo segment. Okay. Uh, and this is the one where Bret talks about how Sean is a bad role because mo- they're both baby faces technically uh, and Brett talks about how Sean isn't a good role model and how he had posed for Playboy in the time that Brett was gone he says all of Sean's fans are 14 and girls but then he also says that women are not the people who are buying Playgirls oh. uh, and meanwhile Sean starts leaning into comments that Brett's made. I don't think it's actually on the show that Brett calls him a degenerate. I think that was in like a newspaper interview somewhere or something. But Sean starts like referring to himself as a degenerate or as like the World Wrestling Federation number one degenerate. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the birth of the degeneration X concept. In our ratings roundup, oh boy was that not enough as Raw came in with a 1.6 and Nitro came in with a 3.6, two full rating points ahead. Yikes. They did a 3.0 in the first hour and a 4.1 in the second hour once they started teasing that Piper was going to come back. Piper has been really good for ratings, uh, which is surprising to me that he would still be that much in late 96, 97. But people definitely are interested in what he's doing. Uh, and to that end, something that we didn't mention on the Starcade episode, but Starcade ends up doing a .95 buy rate which is the biggest buy rate for wcw pay-per-view since 94 when uh 
Hogan and Flair had the match where if Flair lost, he had to retire, which he did briefly. Oh, okay. Uh, and because WCW had raised their price around the same time, uh, that was believed to be uh, like Meltzer. This is one of those things where he doesn't have exact numbers, but he he says that it it almost certainly has to be the biggest money non WWF wrestling pay per view in history. I I would have no reason to to doubt him. I mean, unless I don't I don't know. Has he? I mean, are there? I mean, like AAA and all that? Or do they do pay per views or? Are those that's a great question I, I like I know they do triple mania and stuff but I think those are just special events that are still televised as normal but I I do not know uh for sure I mean I, I was just wondering that today because we we're watching the January 4th uh Tokyo Dome show or I don't know if you did I watched a couple matches on my own um and I was wondering how those get shown in Japan because I know that they definitely a few days afterward aired the top matches just on free television. Mm-hmm. Because the tape that Dave Meltzer gets where he actually reviews the Tokyo Dome show, he only can review the like top four matches because that's what was taped off of television and sent to him. Okay. So clearly they're filming the other matches because you can watch them on New Japan World, like the uh, the Super Liger match. But what ha- like were those aired on some form in Japan? Or how? Or were they pay-per-view? I, I have not the foggiest clue. Yeah, um, unfortunately, for one reason or another, like pretty much anything at my place when it comes to streaming has not been working for the last couple of days. So I just was not able to watch. I only watched like the first match on um, that on that um, Tokyo Dome show, which was like this big six man tag match. Okay. But I could not get anything else to even run properly. So um, ah. I did not. I did not see the matches that you have mentioned that you were going to watch, but I did see like the big six-man tag that started off, which had uh, Eugene Nagata in it, which has a oh cool link. All right, uh, Dave. Before we move on, um, there's just something I'm noticing on your end. Could you do me a quick favor? What's up? Light the torch. <laughs> After a week of talks between ECW and pay-per-view provider Request TV, it is actually looking like ECW's first pay-per-view might happen in 1997 after all. Request, with 18 million customers, is the biggest pay-per-view provider in the U.S., so ECW could still make money despite having the other two pay-per-view companies uh, refuse to air the show. And those other two companies have been a lot more emphatic than requests about, like, no, we're not interested, we're not doing it. Uh-huh. So if ECW is going to do it, it is going to do it. It's only going to be with one of the companies, but it is the biggest company. So okay. if they have a, a good enough buy rate, they could still uh, make a profit off the show. It remains to be seen. On December 31st, Request put out a statement saying that they are looking into ECW and will take the time to carefully decide whether or not to do business with them. Wade Keller also uh, passing along that apparently if you call the WCW 900 line, you could hear Mark Madden claim that after Starcade at the hotel bar, Chris Benoit and woman were all over each other. 
and quote, those two did everything but exchange undergarments. Uh, Wade Keller sources within WCW say that that is true, that that Benoit and woman were all over each other at the hotel. Of course, it's important for us to remember contextually that right now, though they are together in storyline, they are not supposed to be together in real life. And in fact, they aren't. They are together in real life. They actually don't. Their their relationship does not actually become a real relationship until they both tour Japan later on in the summer of 97. It's generally considered that's when they actually started a real affair. So at this point, they are literally in a hotel bar in front of other WCW wrestlers pawing at each other at the behest of woman's husband who is trying to pull one over on the boys for who knows what the fuck insane reason these people do these things. Those boys sure are getting worked, aren't they? <laughs> like, I get that it's a major storyline on Nitro, but it is not an angle that has set the wrestling world on fire. It is not like everyone is talking about Benoit and Nancy and what's going on, and you have to watch Nitro and not Raw because you've got to see what's going on with those two. This yeah. is real-life stuff happening. Like, it just is not nearly at that level I don't know what I, I I really struggle to understand what Sullivan was thinking. Like there's nothing that was added by doing this. The storyline would have been just as good have if he had not pushed his wife into the arms of another man for fun. It's it's bizarre. It's just Brian Pillman still living rent free in that guy's head. <laughs> that's yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, because it's just that's I think Kevin Sullivan just got really envious of the attention and the like the multi-dimensional way that people looked at uh, Brian Pillman's antics and what he did like on screen and off screen. He's like, yeah. I want that. I want that no matter what the costs are. <laughs> and apparently the costs of his marriage was was not one that he was uh, that he was willing to make, basically. Uh, well, and to give him a little bit of credit, you know, he was on the inside of the Pillman stuff because they had the Booker Man, I Respect You Booker Man match, which Sullivan was in on. Yeah. So I think, you know, he was a part of that story that for a minute was like an exciting, you know, whispered about storyline among wrestling fans. And so, yeah, you're right. It's it's maybe not jealousy as much as trying to recapture that feeling that he was a part of, maybe. Mm -hmm. if I guess that would be a more generous way of looking at it. Uh, in other wrestling, pro wrestling torch news, the uh, I guess he's more just passing this along. This is actually pro wrestling, pro wrestling illustrated PWI. They had their, of course, their end of the year awards, and so uh, in the WCW section of the torch, Wade Keller mentions that the Giant won Wrestler of the Year, and Harlem Heat won Tag Team of the Year. I believe PWI is the one that does all kayfabe. So like the Giant was a rookie, you know, who won a championship and yada yada oh yeah yeah uh eric bischoff hosted the e daily news crickets chirping i don't know i thought that was interesting oh, i thought i thought you were gonna follow up with something no no i think if if i remember right what is that i don't know uh you know the e channel oh okay yeah yeah they used to have like a thing if as i recall it and i might be wrong I don't even think it was like a regular half hour program. It was like, you know, every six commercial breaks, they would show like a 90 second recap of the entertainment news from that day. Sure. And I think one day the guy doing the recap for those 90 seconds was Eric Bischoff. 
as a little means of cross promotion for Nitro. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that could be certainly looked at as a positive of like, hey, look, there's stuff that's mainstream that's starting to take us seriously. Yeah, yeah. That's why I included that in the, my notes for Worldwide is because I do I like mentioning when wrestling seeps out into other things. Like, uh, you know, a few months ago we were talking about the Cable Ace Awards. I just it's interesting to hear about to remember what 1996 1997 was like and how wrestling was becoming a part of the culture with the torch lit it's time for a little segment that we call observe this observe this brother this is what we call a rag sheep Dave Meltzer starts off his newsletter with the same ECW pay-per-view news that we heard earlier from Wade Keller. Uh, but I mention it because Dave Meltzer kind of goes on a long and well-intentioned well, uh, and I think important kind of diatribe about the people that were blaming Wade Keller for, like, tipping off or snitching the pay-per-view providers when all, you know, as, as you may recall the story or, or listeners may recall... Uh, Wade Keller was like calling the pay-per-view providers just saying like, hey, we hear you're considering carrying ECW like, you know, this mass transit thing has happened. Do you guys have any comment? And they're like, what are you talking about? And he and Wade Keller had been told by Paul Heyman that Heyman had been up front with them. So he's like, oh, he said they that you had a tape of this thing. And then they were like, what are you? So they it like it was not his intention, but. He's also a journalist, and it's not his responsibility not to snitch, quote unquote. Yeah, you know, he's just following leads and asking stories about important, large, uh, nationally televised programs. That's a legitimate journalistic enterprise. He does not owe it to like the industry he covers to keep important things a secret. That's that's ridiculous. Um, right. That would, it's also like, um, not letting. Baseball journalists uh, like reveal that information about like the the Astros cheating or anything like that. Yes, like violate like, yes. written rules of wrestling that sort of thing. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, even if Wade, even if Wade Keller was like he knew they were not aware of it, there's still it's still he can. There's nothing wrong with him addressing that with them because yes. that's news that that's news that they should be aware of anyway. And it's just like his, it, it is his responsibility as a reporter to, um, you know, get to get those sort of quotes, to find out what their opinion is on that sort of thing. He's just doing his job. So that, yeah, that, now that's ridiculous if someone was saying like that he broke some unwritten rule or something like that. There also were accusations that he was the one who provided Request TV with the tape of the mass transit incident, which I still don't know whether that would be bad if he had, but... Uh, the guy, the like president, the CEO at Request TV was very emphatic and clear with Dave Meltzer that he did not get a tape from Wade Keller. So okay. it's just a bunch of people, ECW fans being like really pissed that they think they're going to be robbed of this thing by uh, Wade Keller. And there's, you know, a lot of fans have, have very specific attitudes about dirt sheet writers Sure. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it was it was just nice to see Dave standing up for a colleague, I guess is why I bring it up. In other Observer news, rumors out of Mexico are that Televisa, AAA's television partner, is not happy with AAA's recent performance. Uh, and they're also not happy with the promo Azteca guys having left. 
as now AAA is left with a lot of older stars on top. Uh, and it's to the point where Dave says that uh, AAA may lose, may lose their television deal. Um, but there's other signs that things are okay. Like it was not that long ago that actually Saturday mornings, uh, AAA went from a three-hour programming block on Televisa to a four-hour programming block. Ugh. So they've got like a big chunk of real estate on Saturday mornings. Um, but, you know, it is interesting to note that this whole Conan leaving and founding Promo Azteca, that that is really kind of driven a wedge now in between AAA and their television partner. Uh, Kimberly may be returning to WCW soon. I certainly hope that she is. Sweet. Wait, was she... Is it just like trying to find a role for her or something? That's the extent of the note. So I don't know. Maybe I, I, I mean, I could definitely see that being if the um, Diamond Dallas page and the NWO thing starts getting a little bit more escalated. Um, Cause you know, it's always, they always like to bring it into like the, the guy's like personal life sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I think they're really having a lot of success with that for the most part right now. Um, you know, they're doing well with involving, like, more real-life stories and less um, less evil cadres of cartoon villains trying to kill Hulk Hogan. Yes, yes, for sure. So, so I think, um, you know, I think if they wanted to bring in Kimberly just as Paige's wife, that would be probably my suggestion. That would be what I would like to see her do. Um, but I also know, uh, you know, as most of us do, that the Nitro Girls have to be coming at some point. Is that a 1997 thing, or is that later on? Do you know? I would I would say they're in 1997 at some point. I can't remember exactly when, but yeah. So I wonder if I wonder if Dave is hearing, you know, the early rumors that she's coming back. Maybe she's putting together her little dance crew. I don't mean to say that. That sounded so dismissive. <laughs> right. Oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, look at her. Putting her little dance crew. Oh, her little dance crew. <laughs> Oh, good for her. Doing something for herself. <laughs> uh, Eric Bischoff, Sonny Ono, and Kevin Sullivan flew to Honolulu after Nitro uh, for the first of their scheduled quarterly meetings with New Japan. There was apparently some heat last week regarding Kensuke Sasaki either not being willing to do the job on Nitro for Hugh Morris or being told by New Japan that he wasn't allowed to. Meltzer is just not sure, so he's saying, hey, I've, I've heard two versions of the story, not sure, putting them both out there, though. So uh, I thought that was interesting just because that whole match was kind of weird. It seemed odd, uh, and so, yeah, that it, it was a situation where WCW had wanted Morris to win and just it wasn't allowed to happen by New Japan. And given how WCW has really bent over backwards to put New Japan guys over, I don't think they're at all in the wrong for wanting... Uh, Hugh Morris to get a win over Kensuke Sasaki. That does not seem an unreasonable request to me, especially in the time when there's a nascent internet. It's not like people are going to hear about... People in Japan will hear about it, some of them, but not a ton of them. They won't see it on TV. So, like, if they read in some magazine that Kensuke Sasaki lost one match in America to a guy they've not seen, it's not It's not going to kill his momentum at all. Yeah. I mean, on the episode when we talked about it, we just talked about how we didn't like the particular matchup. We didn't feel like right. it made a lot of sense. I mean, I think, I, I don't know, maybe they could have sat there for a moment and, and realized, well, if we don't want to hurt our relationship due to making Kinsuke Sasaki lose, but we also want Humorous to win, what if we had them against different people instead of each other? Right, yeah. It, it seemed like that there was 
an easy way out of that situation that they just were not they were just kind of blind to that it does it's a remarkable the amount of times in wrestling where you're describing some stupid scenario where a company did some stupid thing and you're like well you know they had this matchup and you can't put over so-and-so because of this you can't put so-and-so over because of that and it's like well no one had a gun to their head forcing them to put those guys in the ring together right right and it was there was it's not like there was a build-up to that match right it's a match thrown together they could have just thrown a different match together it's yeah, it's, it was, it's, uh, it's silly um i was just going to make a note here that the nitro girls will be debuting in july 97 so okay so we're getting close but not that close yeah so i would say if kimberly is uh due to be back anytime now it's probably for something different because i gotcha i would take a guess that they don't do a six month like training and setup or anything like that to the nitro girls you know yeah just just a guess but oh this is this is sad and is wrestling related so i'll bring it up uh i was i had marked facebook that i was interested in perhaps going to odb uh she had lost her food truck to some kind of fire and she oh. got a new one together over like GoFundMe and stuff. Uh, there was going to be a, a grand reopening where she was going to be serving stuff out of there, and that has been canceled now, of course, because of coronavirus. That sucks. Um, I liked her food. We we had it at um one of the I, all in was the first time the one the first one in Chicago. Yeah, just uh, she makes really good food, and she's nice as hell, and. Uh, she was just getting back on her feet after losing it to a fire. That that just sucks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone everywhere is suffering to some degree. Yeah. yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, no, but that, yeah, that's totally. If that if once she gets that going, I would like to check it out again because yeah, yeah, like super nice. The food and the food's really good, and like it comes out like really quick because you know it's like a food truck. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be that'd be that'd be interesting. I know that when when we um got food that was the time when austin aries came up and just started like cutting a promo basically on her oh yeah yeah well i think they were jawing a little bit just jokingly because he's a vegan and she's got a barbecue food truck right yeah <laughs> but i it was all as much as i roll my eyes at austin aries it was yeah. they were friends and it was all in good fun yeah and he's also really short he is very short uh, Deborah McMichael and Nancy Sullivan, speaking of real life and storylines, uh, they will not dress in the same store, uh, same dressing room. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, what? The thing, the shit talking Deborah's been doing has actually like affected them. What yeah. a surprise! Yeah, the, uh, we've heard rumblings that they don't like each other in the in the dirt sheets before, but yeah. the note that they won't even dress in the same room is is new. Yeah, but that's just like this. It's the sort of thing like when you hear her promos, it's like. Yeah, you can tell that it's not entirely kayfabe that what she's going for, like, yep, animosity going on there. Uh, Terry Funk is going to be part of this year's Royal Rumble match. Oh, sweet. Yes. Uh, okay, so this I pretty much just copied and pasted. It's a long story, so if any of this wording is weird, it's because Meltzer always has some has strange syntax. But okay. Uh, this happened in Shreveport. I believe that it was January 4th. They did uh, house shows this weekend, and there was one on January 4th in Shreveport and one on January 5th in Alexandria, Louisiana. Uh, so here, here's Dave's story here. During the triangle match, Jerry Sags punched Hull in the mouth and knocked some of his teeth out, so he had to go home and needed oral surgery and missed the January 5th show in Alexandria. 
uh, Six took his place. If you recall sometime back, Hall gave Sags a concussion dur- during a nitro angle with some stiff chair shots. That was the one where um, they like opened up on a few teams that had been laid out by the Nasty Boys, and then the Outsiders came and hit them with chairs. Oh, that was like the cold open? Is that the one where yes, he yep. was, ta- was using the term dark match? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Our- so uh, during that whole fracas, um, apparently Jerry Sags had gotten hit in the back of the head with a chair by Scott Hall, given a concussion, uh, was... He already they all the nasties already didn't like the outsiders because the outsiders had uh when they first came in and they were doing house shows it was against the nasties yeah and they were like kind of acting as the baby faces which the nasties were supposed to be which really pissed them off yeah so they already didn't like him and now they got this concussion uh so they were having this house show match on January fourth Saturday January fourth. Seggs told Hall before the match not to hit him in the back of the head since they were again doing chair spots in the match. Sags threw a chair into the ring at Hall, who caught it and did the spot where he threw the chair back at Sags, and apparently it hit Sags in the back of the head pretty hard. <laughs> God. Sags snapped and ran into the ring and basically was pounding Hall, bruising and blooding up his face, particularly his mouth. Things calmed down, they continued the match, but then they had a post-match argument backstage, although no blows were thrown, apparently. No word on any repercussions from the incident. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to guess, spoiler alert, there are none because it's WCW and they just let the inmates run the fucking asylum. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Hall or Sags get in that much trouble, if any, over it. Um, so yeah, there's more heat now between the Nasty Boys and Hall and Nash. Uh, Scott Hall, like I said, he misses the January 5th house show, and I think he misses the next Nitro that we're going to do as well because he had to like get emergency dental surgery and then let those let that sit for a week or so before he could do any in-ring action. I I I mean of course you would you would say like I mean how intentional was it that Scott Hall did that because it's just a very Scott Hall thing to do. Um but the fact that he got his teeth knocked out and didn't let it come to blows like after the match I think is kind of uh respectable on his behalf. So yeah. I think if you got your teeth knocked out, no matter why that happened, you would be pretty upset about it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so that's the end of the Observer news, but I did have some other stuff in the Observer that I thought would be fun to go over here. Okay. Uh, and that is, since it's the end of 1996, we have the Observer Awards. Oh, yeah, and these are the less kayfabe, more like, Correct. And they are. I I'm sorry. Go ahead. It is. Do fans? Yeah, fans vote on this, right? That's what I was about to say. Yes, these are voted on by fans. Okay. Now I didn't copy all of the results and all of the categories. For some of the biggest ones, I I copied maybe the top five or the top ten. Uh-huh. Um, for a lot of the lesser ones, I either skipped them or I just uh took who was who in WCW uh won one of these awards just because I thought that would be interesting. Okay. So just. Just for kicks, when you get to a category, I'm going to try to guess who wins. Okay. So first, and I'll clarify because some of these are confusingly named. First is Wrestler of the Year. Now, Wrestler of the Year is the total package. So that's Mm -hmm. in-ring ability, that's promos, that's charisma. That's like the overall who is the best, you know, in this sport of wrestling, not just the best in the ring. Okay. In 96... Um, 
I can tell you right now, I don't think you're going to get it. Okay. Is it is it an American wrestler? No. Oh, okay. Uh, then I'll guess uh, Shinya Hashimoto? No, it is Kenta Kobashi. Okay. You got Kenta Kobashi one. Uh, number two is an American wrestler. Uh, boy, I almost want to say like Steve Austin. Uh, I think if you waited like a year, maybe that would have been the case. Okay. Uh, maybe not among the smart voters of the Observer, though. Uh, but this actually would be Shawn Michaels. Oh, okay. All right. Number I, three. Oh, go ahead. I, I just figured that even though he had a big year, that he wasn't very popular with people that would be voting for these sort of awards. Yeah, I think it's kind of a case where he's so good, like, yeah, there's enough grudging respect there. Okay. Uh, number three is Misawa. Okay. Number four is Minami Toyota. Mm-hmm. And number five is, I believe, the only WCW wrestler in the top ten, Rey Mysterio Jr. Huh, okay. All right. The next category. This is the most outstanding wrestler, which I believe is now called the Brian Danielson Award. Oh. Uh, and this is for the most, uh, this is the best, like, technical wrestler, the best inside the ring. I would guess Benoit. That's a good guess, and he is at number four. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a clue for number one. It is another WCW wrestler. Um, Malenko? He is number eight. Uh, technical wrestler. And keep in mind, technical... I, I shouldn't have used the word technical. I just mean in ring so like technical brings to mind like a certain chain wrestling style Hmm. that's not necessarily what i mean i just mean they're good at the wrestling part of wrestling not promos or not charisma just the wrestling part of wrestling uh eddie guerrero he is not in the top 10 Uh, rick flair ray mysterio jr see i would have i thought him for outstanding wrestler, then you said the technical stuff, and then I was like, "Yeah, not him." That's why I felt bad. I was like, "Technical's not." Re- That's just such a specific word. Um, yeah. So you've got. I'm gonna do the list. You got Mysterio, uh, Manama Toyota, Kenta Kobashi, Chris Benoit, Shinjiro Otani, Shawn Michaels, Misawa, Dean Malenko, and Ultimo Dragon at number nine. For whatever reason, I didn't copy the who the tenth was. I don't know why. Uh, in so I'm going to, uh, the next category, first I'll give you a chance to guess before I give an interesting thing. I only kept the top two in this category okay. because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, but the best baby face. Oh, uh, best baby face. Um, boy. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint that the top two are both American. Okay. Number one, I'm going to say Shawn Michaels, number one. You're right. Yes. Okay. And then, so the guess, and then there's something about number two. Yes. Um, is it Bret Hart? It is Bret Hart. Good. Wow. <laughs> good job. I think it's very funny that they were number one and number two for best baby face. Yeah. For, for 96. Yeah. Uh, no WCW wrestler was in the top 10 for best baby face. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. I feel I feel like um, things would have looked a lot different for the awards if Ric Flair was healthy all year. Absolutely. 
um i that's the thing i just keep forgetting because it's always like in wcw that like he's always the, like flair's always the standard and he more often than not is always around this is just a very this is a strange year which he spent like about half the year off the on the shelf so i also think that there's a particular feeling that's like hard to remember in this part of the 90s where rick flair was con- like he was passe to a certain segment of the audience like mm-hmm. if you wait another few years he's a legend and the fact that he's in the ring even if he's old and even if it's not what it once was yeah you're just happy every time you're seeing him in the ring if you go 10 years before this he's like the peak of the sport just the guy to emulate but in this late mid to late 90s period i think there was a lot of feeling of like this guy just needs to go he's past his prime his time's done you know what i mean that kind of reminds me of uh, is trying to remember like right bef- like the couple of years right before The Rock left for Hollywood. Yeah, it was like um, especially what I especially remember is um, is the debut of Jericho against him, and it, it just felt like such a tired act. Sure. Uh, in which it's just like okay, here he comes again with all his catchphrases and things like that. Yeah. Um, probably guys are just like around for so long they just have these lulls and this is like this is like flair's lull even though right he's been there's been countless nitros in which he's easily the highlight especially oh, absolutely especially yes. like the first three or four months it was pretty much like rick flair was carrying the show all right uh best heel uh gotta be hogan right he is number four observer voters one thing that's just uh they hate hulk hogan yeah that's true a lot of things that i think he probably deserved he are withheld because they just hate him so much yeah and he wins a lot of things like worst wrestler and it's like look Loch ness was still having matches in 1996 hulk hogan was not the worst wrestler in 1996 that's absurd um Maybe just in comparison to like what he gets from wrestling and what he's able to sure. in the ring. Sure. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like anyone's like, boy, I got so fucking ripped by Loch Ness again, you know? Right. Um. So he, then is it is it either Hall or Nash? Uh, number two, I'm going to skip number two, or I'm not going to skip. I'm just going to give it, it's, it's Masahiro Chono. Is so it? I don't think that's one that we would. Oh, you're still on number one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> I was gonna say, is it Hall or Nash? Who, it is not Hall or Nash. No, it's not Hogan, Hall, nor Nash. So is it? Steve it Austin? is not a W. It is Steve Austin. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yep. you got Austin one. You got Shono two. Uh, I mentioned that Hogan is four. Who do you think might be three? And I'll give you a hint that this is. Uh, there's something different about this this guy than anything that we've talked about so far any person we've talked about so far is it bischoff it is not bischoff that's a good guess um different than anything else we've talked yeah he'll um is it an ecw guy it is is it raven it's shane douglas oh okay okay raven is raven is number nine i that's i mean 90 in 96 shane douglas was just like the 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 ultra heel of right of ecw yeah i get i get that one and then you've got uh taz at number five mankind at number six kevin nash at number seven 
Yoji Anjo uh, at number eight, and then Raven, and rounding out the list at number ten, Ric Flair. See, I, I I had this impression. I thought the NWO thing was going to be running away with a bunch of awards, but they're not even really that close so far. Yeah, uh, yeah, I it is surprising. Um, but maybe that's a good segue into our next category: Feud of the Year. Oh, so would Feud of the Year be the NWO versus WCW? That is number one with a bullet, more than twice the number of the number two votes. Uh, I'm not going to read through all these. They're not that interesting. Uh Uh, Just say that number five is Ric Flair versus Randy Savage. And number seven is Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Dean Malenko. Okay. Okay, I only wrote down the, the WCW one for this next one. There was one WCW entry. They were number eight. Who would you say was tag team of the year? So this is basically WCW's best tag team, because that's all I, I copied. Oh, Harlem Heat? You're right. Absolutely. So they were eight? Yes. So who, Oh, but you did not write down any of them? I didn't write down the rest of them. It just didn't seem that important. Did you write down... They're, and I think they're almost all Japanese teams, because there were no WWF teams, because uh, tag teams just is not a thing there right now. Well, number one is probably like... Misawa and Kobayashi or something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, most improved. This is a WCW wrestler at number one. Diamond Dallas Page? You're right. Okay. And he, what do you think the odds are that he brags about that in a promo again? Wait, did he already brag about that? I he bragged about winning, Um, I think it was the PWI most improved, not the Observer. Oh. But he has bragged in a promo about winning a most improved award. Yeah, yeah. Um, If he gets a, if he gets an interview time, well, I mean, even if it takes a few weeks, he'll still bring it up. Yeah. Yeah, he'll bring, uh, bring it up <laughs> at some point. And then I'll give you, this is a surprising choice to me, and I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it, but... At number eight is the only other WCW name in the top ten. You want to guess at who that is? Um, is it? Wait, who would? Is it Disco Inferno? Ooh, that's not a bad guess. It is actually Marcus Bagwell. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I mean, he definitely has a better position now, but I don't. F- feel like he's become a better wrestler i i don't don't know anyone that would make i mean we've hardly seen him wrestle in months yeah that's the thing for me is like when have we ever really gotten a chance to see unless unless the voters are like really scrupulous watchers of saturday night maybe (laughs) right uh which i feel like if you did like that venn diagram of people that vote for these awards and also people that watch Saturday night, they'll probably be like on top of each other pretty much. Yeah, I, I usually start filling out an Observer Awards thing uh, when, when Meltzer puts out the call because I'm a subscriber. Mm-hmm. And then like halfway through, I'm like, you know what? I don't know enough about wrestling to fit. Like I'm match of the year and I'm sure it's like a million great things in Mexico and Japan I haven't seen. And I always just feel like yeah. I'm just going with like the the mainstream stuff that I usually watch. And I, so I usually just kind of give up halfway through. Although plus he, he lumps so many things in together now, like best promos will be like Connor McGregor. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, but like, I don't, I don't watch UFC. I don't know who's good over there at anything. He really, those should be like MMA and pro wrestling should be separate. I know that they put, I agree. Organization of the year is like typically ultimate fighting. And it's just like, 
like why am I reading these awards then? You know, right? Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, they just they have some of the awards just get commandeered by UFC and MMA stuff, and I feel like you're, that's not really the like the audience that you're like writing these or presenting these awards for. It should be wrestling awards and make a separate awards for the people that love UFC. All right, now this next category is pretty funny for our show because the uh, I didn't write down all ten. But I can tell you I have the number one, the number three, the number five, the number six, the number seven, and the number ten because they are all WCW wrestlers. And this category is most unimproved. Most unimproved. Most unimproved and six of them are WCW wrestlers. Good God. Let's see if you, how many can you get all six. Uh, the first thing I thought was Jim Powers. <laughs> no, he's not among the list. Uh, That's a, I like that as an underdog guess, though. Um, uh, so are these all, like, significant names, then? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. It's like Jim Powers would be a good answer, but you got it. These are just bigger stars. Okay. Most unimproved. It makes me want to think that they're younger wrestlers. Or are these, like, is it, like, is Hogan and Hall and are those guys on here, too? Hogan is number one. Hall is number six. <laughs> okay. Um... How about, like, M. Wall Street? No. Bigger stars. Uh, Nash? Yes. He's number 10. I feel like Holland, that's just, like, you don't like him. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they're not using this This They're not using this properly. How about uh, Steve McMichael? No. Um, what about Lex Luger? He is number five. So you've got number three and number seven left. Okay. Um, One is somebody that we've talked about a good good deal. He's not necessarily has been in every category, but we've talked about him quite a bit. Okay. That's that's unimproved. (laughs) Um... Ric Flair, number seven. Okay. Because I remember I was saying, like, people at this time, I think, were kind of down on Flair. Okay. Uh, And then number number three. That's that's pretty strong. I mean, I feel like people being down on him would be like, I'm not, I don't find him that interesting. But this is like, I specifically do not enjoy watching him. Right. Uh, And then the number three guy is a WCW guy, but one we haven't seen in a few months seen it i i don't know randy savage okay Uh, i mean all right for under i mean you're looking at guys that are like older veterans that like how much would they be improving anyway yeah yeah all right uh i'm just trying to move along a little quicker here uh best technical wrestler number one so this is technical i'm not the actual technical yeah uh, the number one and number two are WCW wrestlers. For technical, is is number one Dean Malenko. Number one is Dean Malenko. Okay. Um, is number two technical wrestler Stephen Rico? No. Okay. No, and if he might not have been in the top ten, I I might. Maybe he was like further down. I didn't copy the whole thing, but he he wasn't one or two. 
Oh, is it Benoit? It is Benoit. Okay. Yeah, those make sense. The number one best flying wrestler was a WCW guy. Mysterio. Correct. The most overrated number one was a WCW wrestler. Is it still Hogan? It is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> All right. Most. Which to, which, to be fair, I feel like that we have covered that even, like, you know, he's in the biggest. Um, he's in the biggest biggest story he's in the 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 hottest group that there is yeah but still has turned back around into like the the feeding hogan machine and him giving just these dumb pointless promos so i i can see how even like even 96 when he was like finally like really relevant and hot for any reason that people still don't like him i can still see that all right. Uh, this is an interesting one. Half of the most underrated wrestlers are from WCW, and I'm gonna number three, number four. I'm gonna give because I don't think you would have guessed these, um, but I like seeing them on here because I think they are great, yeah. or or mainly one of them. Uh, number three was Psychosis, and I agree that Psychosis is an underrated talent in 1996. Yeah, I would uh, never num- guess them as like just as a as a WCW wrestler. Right. Yeah. Uh, number four, I I actually, maybe we haven't seen his best stuff. It might be happening in Mexico, but Juventud Guerrera is number four for most underrated. Yeah, we haven't seen him in a while. Chris Jericho, he was having visa problems, so that's why we haven't seen him. Oh, okay. Uh, Chris Jericho, number five. Steve Regal, who I would, that's not surprising at all to see him on here. Yeah. And number seven was Eddie Guerrero. Okay. Well, who's number one? Uh, didn't have it for that category. Somebody not in uh, not in WCW at that anyway. Oh, okay. Best weekly television show. Uh, I'm just gonna blow through this. ECW is number one. New Japan number two. All Japan number three. Nitro number four, and Raw number five. All right. Uh, match of the year. The match of the year for 1996, according to Wrestling Observer Newsletter voters, was Mitsuharu Misawa and Jun Akiyama versus Steve Williams and Johnny Ace at the Tokyo Dome from, uh, looks like, June. Wow, Johnny Ace was in a match of the year. Yeah, isn't that some? Uh, the number two was WCW Wrestlers, although it was an ECW match. Because, uh, you know, it covers the whole year. That... That'll be Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Juventud Guerrera from March. Okay, never mind. What Was that what you were going to guess? No, I was first I was going to guess there was like the Malenko-Eddie Guerrero two out of three falls match. But that, I think, ah. five. So The number six match was very similar as it was Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis uh, from July. But that was in ECW? That was also in ECW. Okay. Rookie of the year, number one, WCW wrestler. Who do you think? Um, wait, and this is oh, this is '96. Oh, the Giant. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, best television announcer. I'm just gonna read them. Joey Styles. I'm gonna read the top three. Mm. Joey Styles, Jim Ross, and Mike Tenay. Huh. Worst television announcer. Number one, Dusty Rhodes. Oh. Number two, Eric Bischoff. Oh. Number three, Lee Marshall. Wow. They, they're One, giving, two, and three. They're giving too much respect to Larry Zabisco. <laughs> uh, 
Best major wrestling card. I thought this one was interesting because number two was the Great American Bash, which I think looking back was my favorite show of nineteen ninety six as well. I liked that one and more I, than Bash the Beach. That's a particular pay per view that Dave Meltzer always talks about being like the best sure. pay per view too. So that makes sense. Did we, uh, six. Did oh, we, go ahead. Did we know what number one was for them? It was the. Uh, Wrestling and Romance Super J Cup second stage from December 13th uh, <laughs> in Tokyo. God, you nerds. <laughs> the worst major wrestling card, six of them, six, more than half are WCW shows. You've got Uncensored from March, mm-hmm. Slamboree from May, World War Three from November, Hogwild from August, which I think Hogwild had some good matches. I don't think that should be in a list of the worst. Certainly not number four. Uh, Halloween Havoc from October and Super Brawl from February. Most of those, honestly, I've already forgotten what was on them. So I mean, I, 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 I still think Hogwild has like the best WSW match that there was, which was the Benoit Malenko. Like, yeah, that match was great. Yeah, that's like I still think it's one of the best matches that was ever in that promotion. So I'd... it also had Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. So like, yeah. just get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Uh, most disgusting. And I copied all 10 of these because it's, it's maybe the most fun category in the observer awards. Oh, the, the most the, disgusting the most promotional tactic. tactic. Yeah. Yes. Like every year now it's uh, the Saudi Arabia deal. Yes. <laughs> it's like, as long as that deal's going, they should just keep winning it. This was not a particularly bad year, I don't think. The the number one most disgusting promotional tactic was fake razor and diesel. Oh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna guess the gun, the Pillman gun thing. That is number three. Okay. Number two is sort of a, a general one. I don't like they're not specific, but it's Gene Okerlin uh just teasing and lying to get you to call the nine hundred number. Okay. Oh, is um Bischoff uh, giving away raw results on there? It's not. I don't know that he did it in 96. I think that he hasn't done that since 95. And then the lawsuit yeah, yeah. the lawsuit happened and he stopped. Yeah, my mistake. I, I forgot it was that long ago. Number four is the WCW usage of racist characters like Sonny Ono. That, that's fair. The ECW crucifixion angle, number five. Yeah. <laughs> WC, uh, number six is WWF. Um, acting like Jose Lothario had a heart attack in that match between Sean and Sid. Oh, sure. Uh, number seven, ECW using Tyler Fullington, the Sandman's real-life young son. Uh, number eight, the billionaire Ted skits, which, like, the, I mean, and and I'll, he's got vote totals. That was only 15 people, so it's not like a ton of people thought that was really that gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just uh, I thought they're just dumb and not funny. Yeah. Number nine was the Shawn Michaels, Diana Smith, um, the British Bulldog's wife. That angle that got dropped after like a week because the British Bulldog was like, we're not using my wife in a storyline. Okay. Uh, and then number 10 was WCW advertising Brian Pillman at Uncensored when they knew uh, that he wasn't going to be there by that time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, still... All right, four of the top ten worst matches of the year are WCW. You've got uh, <laughs> you've got the Tower of Doom from Uncensored. 
That's number one. That was the worst match of 1996. Okay. You've got Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage from Halloween Havoc. Oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan versus The Giant from Hogwild. Okay. And The Giant versus Loch Ness from Uncensored. Man, Loch Ness just getting no respect. <laughs> That's Reading that was probably why he was even in my mind. Oh, true. Uh, okay, so this one, I there's three of these that I agree with, and one of them I think is, is, is shows you how biased the voters can be sometimes. Worst feud of the year. Now, number one with a bullet, I agree with 100%, and that's Big Bubba versus John Tenton. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, here's this is the ridiculous one. Number two, WCW versus NWO. Did they, did they Get, win the feud, feud of the year? They won, they won best feud of the year, but 69 Observer voters had to be stick-in-the-mud assholes. <laughs> right. Number three, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. Yeah. And th- number four, which I think actually should be number two, is Jim Duggan versus VK Wall Street. Oh, I I had erased that from my mind. That should be up there with Big Bubba versus John Tenta in terms of just never-ending feuds that I, I hated from start to finish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. And the last one uh, is best gimmick. What do you think best gimmick went to? Uh, I mean, I would just say the NWO. You are correct. Okay. The NWO. I felt like all one, right. I felt like one of these years, Disco Inferno won that or something. Probably. I don't know. I hope so. Probably not. Actually, if he didn't win it his first year, it's hard to think that that like grew on people. Sure. All right. Uh. Well, and then he's got a little bit of. Year end, this is just an interesting piece of, of information. WWF in 1996 ran 12 pay-per-views with an average buy rate of 0.67 and an average revenue of $1.66 million. WCW ran 10 pay-per-views. They had an average buy rate of 0.64, and their average revenue per show was $1.8 million. Okay. So WWF selling a few more shows. With the higher price, though, WCW making a little bit more money. Uh, the next thing I wanted to move on to was January 4th. Saturday, January 4th was the Tokyo Dome show. We mentioned uh, on here a few times the Chris Jericho as Super Liger versus Kenimoto. I'm missing his first name. I just didn't write it down. Oh, I was um, going to say... Um... Which one of the awards do we just for some reason not have the number one for? Uh, there was a few of them I didn't have the number one for. Because I, like, was one of them most underrated? Yes, yes. Okay, because that was uh, Leaf Cassidy. Oh, wow. Was the most underrated in 1990. Al Snow, I do not agree. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to talk quick about the Super Liger versus Kanemoto. This is Jericho's New Japan uh, debut. It happened at the Tokyo Dome January 4th, 1997. Uh, he is dressed up in a white spandex bodysuit meant to be a character called Super Liger. He's got a very similar mask to Jushin Thunder Liger. This yep. was the debut of this character that was meant to sort of be uh, Jericho is going to be a regular in New Japan, certainly not a full timer because of his WCW commitments, but he was going to be a regular and it was kind of building this as a new rival, a heel version of Jushin Liger. 
So it's an interesting way to debut the character, and and I don't know what they're doing on their weekly TV, but just you know, with with no build because he has not been in Japan. He's been in Japan, but not with New Japan. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't been there building the character. He hasn't worn the suit until the night before the show. Uh, so there's not really like it's a very strange build for this new character who's eventually supposed to be a rival to the greatest junior heavyweight of all time. Uh, but so I, I just kind of summarized Jericho's book and what he talked about in it. He said that he was invited over to debut a super liger. It's not like he um, proposition or not proposition. It's not that he went to them asking for work. They came to him and said, hey, we've got this new character. We think you might be the guy to do it. So he sent his measurements over Japan. He got to Tokyo the day before the show, tried it on, said the material didn't have very much stretch to it at all. It made, like, moving very hard. Yeah. And the mask had a very tiny hole for the mouth and red mesh over the eyes that made it extremely difficult to see. He had never before wrestled in a bodysuit or a mask, so he cut the chin out so he could breathe better, but there was really nothing he could do about the eyes. You know, they wanted the mesh over the eyes. If you look at... Liger's mask. It has a similar mesh over the eyes. Yeah. Liger is just used to it from literal decades of wrestling in it. Right. Uh, so he Jericho spent all night. He slept with that mask on in an attempt to get used to it. That's how much he was trying to get used to it so he could make an impression. Uh, he says his impression was that Kanemoto was not really thrilled about the match and certainly less thrilled about putting Jericho over in the match. Mm-hmm. And if you watch it, Maybe it was because I read that ahead of time, but if you watch it, Kanemoto, like, looks bored. He, it's not that he doesn't, like, he sells physically with his body, but his face never, he doesn't sell with his face at all. He looks, like, bored and disinterested, just kind of, like, above the match. Mm -hmm. And when he's selling, it's just kind of boredom, and then when he hits some cool offense, suddenly he's really into it, and, like, it comes off as him... It, if you watch it with, as, as it is on New Japan World with just the Japanese commentary and you didn't know any of the backstory, you'd think this was like a showcase match for Kanemoto. He gets like the better, cooler offense. Um, I think part of that is Jericho just can't see what he's doing, so he's just like putting on chin locks because he's that's safe. He knows he can't like screw that up. Uh-huh. Um, at one point, Jericho gets Kanemoto on the apron and then he's going to do like uh he's going to run do a springboard off the second rope and then drop kick Kanemoto to the floor but he slips on the second rope and just falls on his ass in the ring and like the announcers laugh at him the crowd laughs at him and it's like the moment (laughs) the moment this new character died it was right there it was never coming back (laughs) the announcers laughed they do they seriously just laugh at him laughs yeah, and it's one of those quiet Japanese crowds, especially in, like, the undercard. They're not, you know, ooing and aahing like they do li- later in the show. Uh-huh. So it's like you can hear a pin drop, and then he falls on his ass, and then people just mock him, and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. So he wins the match, but he knows that it sucks. He gets to the back. Like, the second he gets the outfit off, a New Japan official comes and takes it for, quote-unquote, safekeeping. Uh-huh. And he just knows, like, shit, if they ever do this again, it's going to be with someone else, not me. Yeah. So he knows that it's done. By the time he gets back to the States, he call, he says that he called the WCW hotline, and he could hear on uh, the hotline Mark Madden say that Jericho had stunk it up over in Japan. Uh-huh. So somehow the news of his shitty match beat him back to America. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, he already had himself booked with New Japan as Chris Jericho. He was going back there like one month later. 
yeah. using his normal name. So he was like, if I hadn't already signed the deal for that and gotten my visa and everything, I bet they wouldn't have even had me back. But like, it was already kind of just too late in the process. So they do have him back a month later, and that actually goes really well. He has good matches with pretty much... They have him lose to everyone because they think this guy sucks now. Yeah. But he starts impressing people. He has a good match with Liger, and Liger ends up really liking him and like uh, liking the match they had together. That's all you need. If right. You, if you got Liger's stamp of approval, you're going to be set. And he says he had a conversation with Ricky Chosu, who was uh, head booker of New Japan at the time, who told him, quote, Chris Jericho, very good. Super Liger, very bad. <laughs> and Jericho goes, yeah. And Jericho says he responded, yeah, I think maybe Super Liger is dead. And Choshu goes, yeah, I think maybe that is for the best. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Jericho ends up actually just fine with New Japan. He still he still has some success there. Um, and so it's ultimately a redemption story, but boy, yeah, it didn't go super well for super Liger. Yeah, I know. I, so I, I managed a couple of minutes of that match before my streaming just went to shit, but I did, I did notice, um, uh, Connie Mono just not looking very interested in the match. It's like early in the, like the beginning, I feel like the first chin lock he puts on, he just looks like he's like looking for the exit. And yeah. also, um, just seeing Jericho constantly adjusting the mask is kind of like yes, that's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, but the, and the thing is, like from Chris Jericho's position, with how much he, I assume, like really reveres like any opportunity in New Japan, knowing that that could make him such a better wrestler. Right. There was no way he could have said no, no at any step of the even when he put on the outfit, and it was like this is not going to work out. There was no, yeah. He couldn't, even if he wanted to, he, there, he could not have found a way to tell that to them. Like, especially not like the day before. That's like. Right. And that's on, that's on New Japan for not getting someone properly prepared in advance, too. I will also say that, especially if you did not know the backstory and you just watched the match, it is not a train wreck. It is not like a hilariously sure. bad match where you're cringing the whole time. It's just boring. And there's one big botch that like really just seals the deal. Yeah, but it, it is mostly bore. It's more. It is is more boring than it is bad for sure. Yeah, I mean you don't you don't see Super Liger's like this is the worst wrestler they've ever had there. Absolutely. Just, like you're not seeing what Chris Jericho is at that time. Right. You're just seeing, it's like well I, I, he's fine you know nothing yes. special so. All right. There is still we this is a long worldwide, uh, but there is still some more to talk about, because also that same day, January 4th, 1997, was the debut of Shotgun Saturday Night. Okay. Uh, this was obviously the WWF's attempt at doing it's it's like a a way of seeing inside of Vince's brain where it's like ECW was becoming hot uh, at the recent raw tapings there was a ton of ecw signs bwo signs are all over the place in in addition to nwo signs um so like shotgun saturday night is an interesting vision because you get to see what vince mcmahon thinks is successful about ecw yeah like it's like seeing what one insane guy in his 50s thinks ecw is Mm -hmm. um but you know of course because he's insane and and he can do one thing really well, and that's WWE. He can't do ECW. No. And so, like, 
the show is just really insane. It's um, it's I you can find these online. I found them all on Daily Motion. They're not in the network yet. I didn't watch the entire first one because it's just not interesting enough to sustain it. But the the look is really cool because they're uh, it's in rock clubs and that's just really different. And the crowds are really rowdy and they're in these cool New York, uh, you know, happening trendy spots. So that's really really fun. Um, but then you just get the same like goofy WWF gimmicks. They've got the uh, headbangers in the first episode is the flying nuns. Yeah, they're just like guys in nun outfits and just lame stuff like that. Um, so it looks really really cool, but. At the end of the day, it's just a boring wrestling show where, like, most of the big stars aren't on it. Um, but the interesting thing that kind of, I think, why it was doomed in the beginning, this is a quote from Jim Cornette. I got this out of the book uh, Titans Screwed. There's a a guy who wrote books about WWF in 95, 96, and 97, those kind of turbulent years. Yeah. Uh, Titans Screwed is the 97 version. This is a quote out of that from Jim Cornette. Uh, it was a trip for us every Saturday night right into the middle of the freaking city. It meant we had to fly talent in from wherever they were on tour. We had to rebook weekend cards to make people available. Uh, it was one of those ideas that Vince loved, but that quickly changed when other things came along and took a priority. Um, so, yeah, it's just you can't do a live show from New York City every Saturday night when you're also touring the world with those same talents. It's just <laughs> something's going to give. Yeah. Um, so they... It's less than a month before they're no longer live and they're just taping before and after Raw. Um, so, yeah, there's like maybe four or five weeks of actual nightclub-based Saturday night episodes. Uh, the most famous thing, I think, that happens in any of them is there's one where Terry Funk, like, goes on a big t- uh, profanity-laced tirade against McMahon. He's doing it in character, yeah. but McMahon gets so mad about all the swearing that he vows to never have Terry Funk back. Uh, again, he does have Terry Funk back like a year later in 98 as Chainsaw Charlie. Uh-huh. There, but, there was a catch for him on that one. <laughs> but that's that's like the most notable thing that happens on a on a shotgun Saturday night is uh, Terry Funk yelling some swear words in in like the third one. So that's, yeah, that's it with shotgun Saturday night. We've just, we've talked about it a lot on these worldwides kind of as they led to it. So I thought I thought for a while maybe we'd watch it, but having watched the first twenty minutes, I was like, I don't want to. Wa- I don't want to do an episode on this. It would just would not be worth our time. Um, another uh, a memory that I have from uh, Shotgun Saturday Night was um, there was one week in which uh, Goldust defeated the Sultan when Marlena got onto the apron and took her top down. I believe that's the first episode. Yeah, and which it's like I think it's like hasties or something like that which you can't yeah. um but that is that was something i remember when i was like 13 or 14 years old so <laughs> yeah i wonder what might have stuck with you about yeah. that <laughs> um i was just going to say as a as a quick side note here in reference to the uh, disco inferno uh he was the best gimmick the year before in 1995 oh wow good for him um and i was just kind of looking at this best gimmick lineup so it's funny because the undertaker won it five years in a row Oh, okay. 90 to 1994. Then it's the Disco Inferno. And then it goes right back to like legendary things like the NWO, Steve Austin, The Rock, Kurt Angle. So like yeah. right in the middle there, Disco Inferno huh. on top. Very funny. Uh, All right. Well, the let's see. I've got Saturday Night Results. I started watching this kind of in the background. I Like I said, I've got a DVD with all 97 Saturday Nights. I do want to watch them all. 
but I didn't uh, I didn't get all the way through this. The thing I wanted to watch most was Steven Regal versus Ice Train. Yeah, and I think I turned it off before I got to that match. Okay, because <laughs> um, I think that was the like that was, that was the last match um, because Regal is a title holder right now still. Excuse me. Um, so the matches were Chris Jericho beat Jim Richland, Arn Anderson beat Chavo Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero uh, and Dean Malenko went to a double countout. Ma- Masahiro Chono defeated Mark Starr. Um, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but he's got. They talk about it on the Saturday Night episode. Chono is going to face Jericho at Sold Out. Oh, okay. Uh, Big Bubba Rogers uh, missing from Nitro, but he was on Saturday Night as he overcame Mister JL. Public Enemy beat Scott and Steve Armstrong. Lex Luger beat Mike Enos in a match that I, yeah, I'm definitely going back to that DVD because I want to see Lex versus Mike Enos. And Steven Regal battled Ice Train to a draw. Oh my God! I'm getting that. I we're when this Skype calls done, I'm getting that DVD out. Um. So I mean, and you're just reading because you really didn't watch the show. You said. Yeah, I had on the background while I was like playing video games, but the way my office is situated, my computer faces away from the TV, mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of half listening to things. And like when I'm on a loading screen, I kind of look over and see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I just. Because we talked about on Nitro that we'd be interested in how WCW wrestlers end up getting booked for sold out. Um, but I'm just assuming that for the Saturday night thing that they just announced it, that that was going to be a match. I, I'm guessing there's not anything more. The thing I remember, the thing I remember is they Chris Jericho has a promo and they ask him about it. And I don't remember if it's like announced before that or if they just... Because that's the way they announce matches sometimes. They're like, Chris Jericho, you've got a match this month. you know. So that might have been the way that it gets announced is just by hearing, oh, and man, the Jericho promo is definitely another one of these early babyface, unsure of himself Jericho promos. It is not very good at all. But, oh, it but, did remind me something of else that should have gone in our corrections and omissions. Mm-hmm. That was another NWO loss uh, was Jericho beating Nick Patrick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, uh, that, I think, does it. That's all of our results. That's all of our newsletter news. The only thing that's left for the show, uh, we always at the end do something that excites us about wrestling in the current day. Now, there's not, like, wrestling is shut down right now except for empty arena shows and whatever this insanity is going to be with this pre-taped two-night performance center based no audience wrestlemania which i have to admit i am thrilled like i'm not thrilled that's totally the wrong word but i am like i am greatly anticipating seeing what the fuck this show is like like i have not watched a wwe pay-per-view and even a mania is something that at this point i'm so disinterested that i would maybe normally skip right but i am going to watch as much as I can of this one, because it just is so insane. We've never seen uh, anything on the scale of like what's supposed to be a WrestleMania, you know, a, a show with 70,000 people and pyro and all this insanity yeah. and just how it's going to come across uh, through no fault of WWE's. I, I don't blame them at all. I truly don't. But just like what it's going to be like, it will be it's going to be nuts. I'm really looking forward to just seeing what the hell this show is like. Well, I mean, I do 
I feel like it, there is maybe it's not fault in WWE as a whole, but there is fault with Vince, in which every sane person was saying just postpone it till a time in which yeah. have people. Yeah, they don't have to be doing this right now. I feel like this is. I feel like Vince is going by the idea of if we keep putting on live shows, we're the only sports entertainment that's going on right now, so we'll be getting all the viewers. Like, I think that he, he, I mean, that's the closest I can think of reasoning here because I don't understand why they're proceeding further with this, the way that they are doing it. Uh, the, the, the other explanation that, that makes some sense to me is, you know, they have a TV contract and so they're going to continue to do Raw and SmackDown and because storylines are going to be continuing right? and they had built up things like I'm not saying they couldn't have found a way. Of course they could have. But it would have been difficult to put, like, a pin in Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar. Because you still want to have that as your Mania main event. You've, like, kind of sold that as the main event. So how do you tap dance with a different storyline for uh, an unknown amount of time? Two months? Three months? Six months? Like businesses might reopen but they might not let 70,000 people get in an arena until next year until 18 months from now yeah i mean but the only thing is like like they're they're potentially suffering these consequences soon because like ray mysterio jr is off of the mania card because he's in yes. quarantine and he that's was, true he was wrestling last week and he was that's true contact with some of these wrestlers just last week so we're talking yeah. like by this time next week a lot of these wrestlers could potentially have coronavirus because yeah. Vince McMahon was not listening to like any sane mind saying like we, we can't keep putting these matches and having all these people together because it's just spreading it. Yeah. Because Vince McMahon's crazy and doesn't think there's such thing as sickness. So. Yeah. And the one, the one that is concerning, I think above all else is, um, is Roman Reigns because he, you know, he this leukemia thing is not something that just goes away, mm-hmm. um, and that is something that you know is going to weaken his immune system, and and it does concern me that he is still you know going and filming these shows and being around other people. Um, you know, I I wish that he was just staying home with his wife and kids, and I admire that he probably has a desire to try to help entertain people through this shitty period, but like him specifically more than any of the other uh, talent, I wish that he really would have just stayed home and, and taken care of his health first and foremost. But on the, on the lighter side, it's like some of these matches are probably going to end up pretty hilarious. Like, I don't know what the Boneyard match is going to be. Yes. I'm very much looking forward to the Boneyard match. And also supposedly the Bray Wyatt, John Cena thing is going to be closer to like that, House of Horrors that um, Bray Wyatt had with Randy Orton back in the day, where they yeah. where they filmed it, yeah, yeah. the abandoned house, and that it could be something like that, which that also was more hilarious than it was like actually thrilling. So it's it is like it's it's going to be a more of a sideshow than WWE typically is for like their big events. So I think there will be things that are interesting, but it's like. On the on the on the other side of it, it's like, man, Goldberg is not going to work out with no audience. Like, a lot of him depends on crowd reaction, 
and like the energy in the room of like anticipation. Oh God. Yeah. Goldberg essentially is crowd reaction at this point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It, it's going to be, it's going to be a complete sideshow. Well, uh, it's funny. We went off on that tangent because what I was actually trying to get to <laughs> was to say that instead of saying something that excites us about wrestling this week, mm-hmm. I thought we could maybe help the people out there by giving them one recommendation, one, one thing they could do to just kill some of the boredom. Uh, you know, a book, a video game, a movie, a show, just anything uh, that would help people get through a few hours and distract them from the boredom of what they've got going. Uh, I'll go first because I we didn't talk about this before, so I'm springing this on you now. Okay. Um, but the first thing that I think uh, that I've been having a ton of fun with, I'm, I'm almost through all of them, is there's a series of... Uh, I've been getting them via as apps on my phone from the Apple store, but I, they're also, I believe available through steam. I know they're through the Android app store as well. Uh, it's a series of games that are essentially designed like, um, escape rooms. Okay. Uh, and they're by a particular developer called rusty Lake. And this particular team or, or person, I don't know exactly how big that team is, but I know these games. Oh, sweet. I played uh, the most recent one, the White White Room. Oh, the White Room. That was a fun one. Yeah, I, I, I did that one yesterday. That, that's, um, it, it's funny to call that one fun because it's kind of yes, a they're, dark tone. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I'm getting to yeah, is yeah. they're all made with a certain like creepy aesthetic that is very Twin Peaks inspired, like deliberately so, mm-hmm. um, especially in a lot of the older ones. I think it's a lot more explicit, the the Twin Peaks influence. The White Room is the least like all the other games. So if you just play that one, you probably wouldn't see the Twin Peaks and stuff as much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there, there are these escape rooms, these puzzles that you have to solve. Um, and that can definitely, uh, as you're, you're whiling away the hours, especially because, yeah, you could, if, if this were six months ago, I would probably just like get frustrated on a puzzle and just Google what's going on. But right now mm-hmm. I have the time to like sit there and try to figure it out or to just turn it off and do something else and come back to it later. Um, so the way I did it and you can fi- figure out however you want, but I just searched the, uh, Apple, the app store for rusty Lake. And then I went to the developer page I downloaded all the free ones, and then they've got like maybe four that cost. I think usually like two ninety nine or three ninety nine. I did all the free ones. I loved them, so then I thought, well, I definitely want to give this guy some money now. So I now I'm working my way through the pay ones, which are a little, you know, they're longer, they're more robust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I really cannot recommend those enough. They are a great way to spend some time while you're stuck in your home. Uh, did that time? Did that? You have something? Something you want to recommend to help people pass the time? Um, well, I'll try to think of a few things. I mean, one thing that's wrestling wise is um, is that Stardom had uh, actually had a show uh, either yesterday or today. They had their Cinderella tournament, um, yeah. In which they what they did is that they they took the temperature of every fan that came into the building. They like checked everyone for like being sick, and gave them like their their um, those little mask things. Um, and the Cinderella tournament's kind of like a big. It's one of the bigger things for Stardom, in which it kind of like sets up a uh, like a little bit of a, a lower down wrestler to be able to challenge for one of the bigger titles. Um, mm-hmm. It also always has like the 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 fun moment where it's like the where the professional wrestler woman is wearing pretty much like a prom dress in celebration. 
Okay. Uh, like a couple years ago, Tony Storm won, and her in like a dress it was just a really weird thing to see. Um, but that that was something. So if anyone has uh, Stardom, Stardom is a pretty cheap. I think it's like American dollars. It's only like seven fifty a month. Um, so that that's on that's going to be up pretty soon if you want to see like new wrestling because I know in some places in Japan they're kind of getting a little bit closer back to normal. I know that New Japan still has canceled like all the way through the end of the month, but then again, Stardom doesn't have nearly as many fans in one place. So yeah, uh, that's available. Um, my sister was just asking for recommendations of stuff that was on Netflix. And I recommended, um, there's a show called Kingdom that just had its second season. It is a, it's a South Korean drama that, um, if you do, if you do mess with it, you can get the uh, actual South Korean language with subtitles, which mm-hmm. is like it's so much better hearing actors and actresses in their regular voice. You just get so much more of their like performance by hearing it that way. And also, yeah, I don't want to shame anyone in the subs versus dubs uh, debate, as they call it, but I am I'm a subtitles person all the way myself. Don't blame anyone. I know that some people don't. They feel too distracted reading the whole time. That's fine, but I I'm right there with you. I'm a subtitle person, 100. percent It varies for me. Like, um, I've always watched Cowboy Bebop with the dubs. Um, I think maybe anime might be a bit different because it's like the voice isn't going to match up anyway. And I just I grew up watching it dubbed, so that one I watched dubbed. But when it comes to like live action, like definitely subtitles. Um, yeah. But it's uh, so it's South Korea. Uh, it's made in South Korea. And it's about like feudal times in their country, and there's a, a like a zombie outbreak, and it's oh, really okay. Cool. So it's kind of like that sounds good. It's it's like samurais versus uh, zombies. So and sweet, really, really well done. There's a lot of like political drama to like the uh, like the kingdom that's going on in this in the meanwhile. So there's kind of like two stories going on during that time, and like the second season came out like very. Uh, very close around the time when people are starting to get quarantined around here. So it just felt like a, it was very apropos to watch it. Um, so I like that one. And then I also recommended um, Altered Carbon has its second season out. And that's like a kind of a, a more of an abstract, like science fiction crime drama that's on Netflix. Um, the new, it, it has like a, a ongoing theme in which, um, like humans are turned into kind of like data packets and they can be uploaded into new bodies. And so that kind of makes it so every season they can have new actors play the same characters as a, as a result of being uploaded. So like the new, newest season is season two and like the, um, the Falcon guy from the Marvel movies is now the main actor in it. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I got distracted online. I didn't. I missed the name of the show, and I was like, "Wow, this all sounds very familiar." And then when you said that, I realized you're talking about Altered Carbon. Yeah. I watched like the first half of the first season, but I have not. I need to. I need to finish because I was enjoying it. I just. I forget why I kind of stopped. But it is. It, I mean, it's one that looks like kind of like it's a whole lot of action and stuff, but you do have to really focus and pay attention to it. Yeah. So maybe if you're casually watching it, kind of you kind of are like, "Wait, I don't." get what's going on right now so maybe it's easy to kind of move on to something else I've certainly- i don't think it's like the the best show but i do think like they threw so much money at it that like yeah it just looks really good it like is very watchable even if i'm not always like 
enthuse like it's you know the best show on earth i'm always just like mm -hmm. this show cost a billion bucks and it looks like it cost a billion bucks yeah yeah so that one no that one's also really fun too yeah um what other shows well we'll have more we can recommend more when we do our next worldwide oh sure yeah we'll do rusty right now you got rusty lake you got altered carbon and you got uh kingdom was that the name of the other one kingdom yep and uh right. and stardom has its oh and stardom yes is up too so all right well there you've got so much entertainment that you have no excuse for going out and trying to be around people social <laughs> social distance yourselves i i'm so frustrated like my my poor son he goes you know he's on the same rules as the rest of us we don't let him play even uh, but like a bunch of our, his, basically the three families of like his best friends who all live on our street. Yeah. They all let their kids play as long as they play outside, which they apparently don't know that viruses can transfer outside. They think somehow only if the kid comes in my house, will I get sick from him as if like, oh. no, that kid is sick. And then he touches your kid and then your kid touches you. And now you're sick. I don't, uh -huh. but anyway, yeah. so my poor kid is like watching out the window while his three best friends run around and have fun and he doesn't get to. His birthday party's canceled. I'm just so goddamn pissed at the people in my neighborhood who are not taking this seriously and just like making, you know, the, the end effect is I look like an asshole just because I'm trying to protect my family. They're uh, going to be the family that's going to freak out once we actually have the shutdown. No kidding. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but anyway, I don't mean to yell at the listeners preemptively because I'm mad at my neighbors. That's uh, I would never hurt you, babies. You're too important to me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is probably the longest worldwide we've ever done and hopefully will ever do. There was just a lot to talk about. And, uh, you know, I think right now it's uh, why not? Why not be excessive with this? Because, like I said, people need some stuff to to distract them. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're enjoying your, your big walk of the day. And uh, we'll be back at you with just a few more days with another Nitro review so you can have a nice long walk that day too. And one thing's for sure, you will find that episode right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. Nitro.